Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property you can't afford. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Asset Arrest and the first of 2021. I'm Laura Yule and I'm back with a viewing of another property in London, this time with the brilliant artist Andy Schmid. As we're back in lockdown, I thought I'd try out a virtual viewing, something I've been meaning to do for a while. This made it possible to meet Andy as she's based in Budapest. I was intrigued as to how they'd conduct the viewing in this manner and how it would affect our impressions of the apartment and the sales pitch. Given that so many buyers purchase property off plan or from another country, I guess this method of viewing is not uncommon. Andy has a background in both art and architecture and produces installations, videos, performances and printed work that explores the architectural framing of social space. She often presents site-specific environments and has produced a number of publications as a result of her projects. In her own words, she uncovers unexpected human behaviours and urban anomalies, places that, for one reason or another, do not follow conventional logic, yet remain part of our cityscape. I invited Andy to view property at the DeMont, a development by Berkeley Homes at Albert Embankment in London. There's only two apartments left here, both of a similar layout and costing £7.8 According to the Berkeley Group's website, they revive underused land, creating welcoming, sustainable and nature-rich places where communities thrive and where people of all ages and backgrounds enjoy a great quality of life. They are highly collaborative, working with councils and communities to create a shared vision and to unlock a mix of social, environmental, economic and commercial value that benefits all of our stakeholders. As usual, it's hard to imagine them achieving a great quality of life for everyone, a welcoming place or a thriving community when they are offering an exclusive collection of 186 luxury suites that include access to luxurious health and well-being facilities, including an infinity pool and a club lounge. I was excited to meet Andy as a friend had introduced her work to me because it turned out she had also been posing as a multi-millionaire for several years in order to view top-end properties in New York as part of her project Private Views. We'd also both spent time in China exploring spaces such as abandoned or failed shopping malls and it seems we share an interest in spaces that exist in a state of failure, standstill or exclusivity. Having never viewed property in New York, I was keen to hear how they compared with London's offerings. All meetings take place on Zoom, so I apologise for any issues with the audio. And please check out Andy's super work, which I've linked to under the podcast description. Yeah, so in half an hour, we can end this meeting and then I'll send you a link for another meeting. And Uh then he will be there too in the apartment, I guess. And where is it? It's next to which which area was it? Albert Embankment, so it's very central. Okay, okay. Um, overlooking the river. Yes, Big Ben, Palace of Westminster is mentioned in the advertisement. 27th floor, so you should have yeah, a good view. view. Yeah, balcony, four bathrooms, four bedrooms. Um, I've said you're my partner. Should we have a kid or something? Yeah, maybe, because four, four bedrooms, bedrooms is quite a lot. Yeah, we, we need a... So, a young kid. We have a two-year-old son. And we want a spare bedroom for, like, family to come and stay. Um, yeah, or so library room. Or... 
workroom at ever. Nanny. Yeah, my oh my name is Elspeth. Yes. Nanny um, might stay over. I might not use the camera. Maybe it's even um weird like um well, it's up to you. It doesn't really matter yeah. either way, I guess. Um, I guess I will go on camera, obviously, because yeah. it would be weird if we were both just these. Yes, 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 just the sound. Uh, bowling, really. That's indeed quite unusual. Yeah, never seen bowling. Usually, like, cinema. Yeah, screening room. Golf, sometimes. Yeah, the golf simulator must... Uh, Did you see a lot of golf simulators? Yes, 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 of course, of course. Where do we live now? We have a house in London, in yeah. Kensington. One, okay, one in Hong Kong. And Maybe you could be in Hong Kong. Okay, okay, I'm in Hong Kong. <laughs> I usually just say I'm an artist, like I'm okay. usually just honest, but maybe I'll be an art consultant. Art consultant? Okay. Name of our son? Ruben. Ruben, okay. So the guy will be literally in the apartment and showing us around with his phone, or how? Will... Yeah, with I hope I presume with like an iPad or something maybe. Uh-huh. Okay. He was very excited to show me the views, and they usually ask like, "Oh, so what are you looking for in an apartment?" And it's like, well, yeah, every apartment offers the same thing, so <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter really what I'm looking for. I'm looking yeah. for a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there's no more simulator I'm not going here um, so yeah can we talk a bit about like your work um, so could you maybe just like introduce yourself and what you do I'm Andy Schmid and I'm an artist from Budapest but I studied architecture but basically because the way the architecture world works I ended up as an artist because I really have strong problems with um, the way of operation of architecture, how it's just like adding new and new and more and more to the cities instead of like working with um, the existing. And I think the most symbolical uh, architectures of this like superfluous um, concrete pouring is uh, luxury architecture, of course. So that's why I'm researching the architecture of affluence for let's say like three, four years now. One of my latest projects, uh, titled Private Views, uh, is a project in which uh, I impersonated a billionaire wife who was meant to move to New York with her family. And um, I was basically photographing the views from the most luxurious penthouses probably of the planet. Yeah, Yeah, and this is why a friend had kind of introduced me to, or put me in touch with you and showed me. Um, because I was doing the podcast and I was happy that someone else was doing this. <laughs> and like, yeah. I guess it's I have this yeah. dream, this like dream of of everyone starting yeah. to kind of book these viewings and like claim these spaces as their own and make them accessible. Exactly. Um, I, I want to like always kind of encourage people to do this and make yeah. it seem kind of easy because it is easy. Like, yeah. Um, um, you know, you don't. You just have to say you have the money, really, don't you? Exactly. And at the beginning, I remember that I had this um, kind of like guy who I knew, knew, like from whatever friends or family, who was a real estate agent in New York, and he told me that no way on earth I would get in these apartments. <laughs> he was like super surprised that what you got in, and after each of them, he was like so surprised that you got in, and yeah. Yeah. So it's really for some reason people think that it's like. Totally inaccessible. They want to sell them, so they can't question you, really. You know, they exactly. can't, uh, 
Exactly. They can't say, hey, you don't look like you have the money. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then they fuck up the potential sale. Yes, but on the, for example, on the, on the lower, lower income people, for example, I know that like people in New York who would want to buy apartments for, let's say, under one million, even before showing the apartments to them, they do credit checks. Even, even to rent an apartment. But I guess yeah. at this range of like price range, which we are looking at, many people are just not comfortable to give their credit check. So for them, I guess it worth it more to take the risk yeah. to us. And did they ever make you sign like a, a non-disclosure agreement, like to say that you wouldn't speak about what no, you've seen? I don't think I ever signed anything. No. Ah, okay. Because I've only once been told I had to do that, which was uh, the most expensive property in London. It was like, uh-huh. it was one, 100 or 200 million pounds. Oh, um, wow. But they wouldn't let me see it without, well, I pretended I had a client this time. Yeah. And uh-huh. they needed the name because, of course, there's like, you know, 50 people yeah. in the world that could afford this. Of course. Um, so, they, so they've already contacted them. <laughs> so I was like yeah. Googling Chinese billionaires being like, yeah. I'll just yeah. pick this one. But then I thought, no, because they're going to like, they've already been in touch with them. Of course. Um, so yeah, that was, I couldn't get into that one, but that's the only one that I've been knocked back from. And can you tell me a bit about the character you played to get uh, into these? Sure. I mean, I was like always with the base of like being a non-existent person. I was trying to be kind of like as honest or natural as possible because I think that's the only way really or at least for me why I don't really have a acting skills or whatever <laughs> was the only way that I could actually do it that like I don't know I was an architect which I actually am and I was just like saying my honest opinion on, of each apartment if I didn't like something I just said it I had actually genuine questions about each of these apartments so I just asked them but of and course I, I was sometimes mentioning about my kids or about my husband, which were not real. But this persona, I think she was this like Eastern European, which I am, of course, um, sophisticated lady with good mm. education, good family background. And I read in the interview you did recently, you said that they often asked you before the viewing, like who your husband was. Yes, yes, yes. It's almost like every single time they asked me, that was the only checkup they made, either my husband's name or my husband's business name. Wow. I've never been asked that. From reading this interview uh, with you, I think it sounds quite different, actually, how they do it in New York. Americans um, always put on a real show. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, like, when you go after the data, like 95% of actual billionaire, billionaires are male and 85% of people with net worth over 50 million are male. So, and, and, and always, like on every viewing, they were like telling me that, oh, you should tell your husband, this will be a great investment. And it was very obvious that they were trying to convince him through me with money mm-hmm. arguments and they were always yeah. like, convinced me through this like emotional and yeah the women wants nice views and like a nice kitchen <laughs> and the man and has like, numbers imagine yourself in this soaking tub with the champagne and this kind of <laughs> well this sounds it sounds like a much more sexist approach than there than we have here <laughs> yeah it, it, it was very sexist and many many of course like really if you look into the data of this like really uber wealthy people it's because they are mainly male, of course, their wives usually don't work or work for the family company, but yeah. they don't really have their own profession. I, I read this book with an um, American sociologist called Rachel Sherman, who's studying, who was studying 50 affluent 
families from New York, all of them with kind of like same age, all of them with one kid and their lifestyle choices. And in that like pool of research, she really found that like 90% of the interviewees' wives were just at home and basically their work was to manage things around their lifestyle. So manage wow. the nanny. Book, um, book the dinners. Book uh... the dinners. Or, or have a, a person who books the dinner for you and arrange her or that person, you know, like, so it's... <laughs> yeah, it's it's like being in lockdown <laughs> as a life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess you go to the spa and you find things to do, but it must be... Yes. Mu- yes. It must feel boring, surely. Yes. Unrewarding. Unrewarding. I, I presume all these properties were in Man- Manhattan. Yes, of course, of course. I'm yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's actually a very expensive property also, obviously, in Brooklyn, but... Um, Maybe not this expensive, and I was just focusing on the night. And did you go to New York uh, with the aim of doing this, or did this occur to you when you were there? Um, so first, I it occurred to me when I was there, but then I went back to a specific trip um, before I was working on my book about it, which was just basically to complete my list of buildings. So because, like, ultimately, I had twenty five buildings on my list, which I really wanted to enter them. How long did you spread that out over? How much time? Actually, three years. When I've travelled and done it in other countries, I've found it. If I do like three viewings in a week, even I'm like exhausted because. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Although it's like easy to perform this character, but it also is like really tiring. And even viewing yeah, places, I, yeah. it's so boring. In a way, it's so boring because it's always the same. Yes, yes, yes. And um, actually this um, February when I was there just before COVID, that week was like the most insane week I ever had. I had 23 meetings in one week, out of which oh my God. 17 was real estate viewings and the other six was... Um, meeting with contributors for the book but but that was really crazy I mean that was like really every one and a half hour a different viewing usually oh, I would arrange it in a way that they are like at least like geographically focused on one area every day but sometimes yeah, I yeah. It and then it's just like jumping a taxi sorry I'm 10 minutes late and, and super tiring but <laughs> I was in China like just before also just before the COVID crisis hit yeah. um, and I was like looking at kind of gated communities and service departments for expats and I asked to view one and they were like okay we'd like to spend a whole day with you like taking you around like eight different places and I was like oh god um and they bought me lunch and stuff (laughs) I actually felt quite bad because they were so nice but I'd even like I went to a fancy hotel to meet them at because I had to pretend I was staying there and like yeah yeah, I don't know that was intense like a whole day yes 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 and then you really have to Hold this persona for the whole day. You cannot rest for like ten minutes. Yeah, viewings or anything. I, I, had, <laughs> I had agents like that as well, and with them I started to feel guilty at some point. Hmm. Like still. Yeah, you, I mean, usually I don't feel guilty because yeah. you know they're being paid to do this, and of course, of course, they're not that busy because not that many people try to buy these apartments. Give yes. them something to do, and also I'm very aware of the fact that like these agents basically if they sell literally one apartment a year they earn more than triple of the average american for example so yeah they're paid very well oh um we should probably go so hold on i'm gonna send you the link to this other meeting here before hearing what we thought of the apartment let's see what berkeley homes have to say about the interior of one of their penthouses my name's david walker i'm the architect for the Dumont. We're here for the first time in probably the nicest view in London, I think. From where I'm sitting now, I look all the way up the Thames 
to Chelsea, all the way down the Thames to the City of London and across the Houses of Parliament in central London. We have employed a terracotta in the building and that gives a very textural, non-machined character to the building which emphasizes its domesticity, its residential feel. You know, London is about the Thames. If it's about anything, it's about the Thames. It has been for 2,000 years and this must be the most um, iconic building available uh, along the Thames. It's 1,700 square foot of terraces. This is the kitchen. And this is my favorite room. Seven meters high, overlooked by the gallery, curved facade, this is the heart of the penthouse. And this is where we created the family office. So focus, the desk, curved, following the building. On the other side, we have the family office. Now, we wanted to separate the spaces, but not shut it off. And the design solution is this open shelving. It's made out of leathered marble, brass, and stained oak. And in itself, it's an opportunity for the owner to display their art collection and their lifestyle. The entire rear wall in the master bedroom is the bedhead. To reflect the squareness of the room, the design is square. The gallery links through to the formal living room. This is a grand room of big proportions. The sofa is a 70s design from Minotti. Its curves and shapes reference the building. The lozenge-shaped rug, specially made to fit the room, radiates from ink blue to light grey. The amazing chandelier comes from Italy. It's made of crystal and metal in the shape of, you guess it, the building. The shape of the chandelier and the colours of the room were inspired by the Houses of Parliament. Separating the wine cellar from the dining table is a take on a Victorian kissing chair. Wow, look at that view. The sofa has been designed by us to follow the shape of the room. It is divided into slices, like a cake, and upholstered in my favorite Parisian Chanel fabric. What a view. I feel privileged to have been asked to design yet another London penthouse. I drew inspiration from the rich history around us. The colors and the tones of the room derive from the south and the north bank of the river. The warm tones are a reflection of the stone facades of the Palace of Westminster and the rich purple and crimsons from the ecclesiastical robes that are worn in the official London home of the Archbishop of Canterbury. The sand-colored wallpaper and pale wood joinery in maple and oak veneers create a calm, sophisticated base. In an open plan maintaining area of living, dining and kitchen, the kitchen is the most relaxed area. That's why we've reduced a softer palette of colors and tones. A family breakfast table extends the kitchen island and features troughs to store anything from sauces, jams to herbs. The kitchen island also features a glass cabinet. Here at the Dremont, I wanted to make the dining room very special. That's why I've introduced a wine display wall, which really is a joinery piece 
with a function. On one side is the floor-to-ceiling window. On the other side, we have designed a mirror. This mirror has been printed with an artwork depicting a map of our location. The dining table has been designed to sit 10 people comfortably. Its deep, wine-red top is supported by sculptural blocks of metal. The edge of this table is tapered, so that table looks thin and light from a distance. My favorite item is the dining room pendant. The individual pipes actually resemble bamboo trunks, but in this setting, I think they replicate the pillars of the Houses of Parliament. My favorite room in the apartment is the master bedroom. Comfort and luxury was the aim. The sophisticated detailing of leather and Italian linen on the headboard and the subtle detailing of the beautiful desk using finishes such as lacquer, hardwood and brass reinforces luxury. The dressing room and spacious bathroom allow for a makeup area overseeing London. I'm very pleased with the outcome of this project and proud of my team. Together we have created a unique cosmopolitan space, a truly spectacular penthouse in the heart of London. Okay, <laughs> Sorry. so many Zoom meetings. Um, I couldn't focus. What did you think? Ugly, everything. It was really ugly. Yeah, I mean, really, the... tasteless, like really a lot. And yeah, I never heard anything like this that they force the furniture on you. I have. Well, no, actually, usually they say they can remove it if you yeah, don't of want course. it. I, it's, um, it's nonsense. Also slightly bizarre that they leave everything including like the the clothes yeah. in the wardrobe <laughs> and the like pasta in the kitchen <laughs> it's really nonsense but it's really strange that they force it on you it's weird anyway. how was the um yeah. how was his selling style compared to you know your viewings in, in new york like much more I think his selling style was the same as when an agent shows me an apartment in Budapest, or like a normal, yeah. like nothing. Yeah, it was it was very casual, very casual and normal. And yeah, normal. He was nice. He was nice. He was nice. Wasn't it? Didn't feel like uh, any luxury listing showing somehow. The, his style, the place itself. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah. I mean, to me, that is quite typical of of what they're like uh-huh. when you see somewhere expensive in London. Yeah. It's, it always feels quite casual, uh-huh. um, which is nice, I guess. Yeah. And how did, how did it compare with uh, apartments in New York of a similar price? Um, I mean, I think it was, <laughs> I think the most, the cheapest apartment I saw was like 20 million. So it's not, okay. I haven't which, seen anything, which is all like, like 15 million pounds maybe or something yeah so um, it was certainly more expensive what I saw but it really felt more cheap in many ways this one yeah I mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for example yeah, I think it was super low compared to anything I saw the what sorry the ceiling heights really super low again in, in, in yeah in, I mean I think they started at four. 4.1 is this like standard luxury apartment 
the new new developments. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I've I have never seen anywhere with a higher ceiling really in a new development. Uh-huh. I mean, if you want a higher ceiling, usually you have to go for an older house or apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah. In New York, in the new ones, they have this like high ceiling. Um, and then I think just the way like the, I don't know, I mean like stupid things, like the marbles and all of that was like, um, usually, for example, in the both in the bathroom and in the kitchen, it kind of just like covered the top. And then the sink itself was like a, just this like normal ceramic that I also never saw. It yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like everything one piece and... Um, it was very obviously less deluxe than... Uh, yeah. And most people buy off plan, so I guess yeah. it doesn't matter as much. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Of course. I mean, if you buy it as an investment, sure. Also, I was very surprised that there's no bath soaking tub along the window. It was kind of like... No. That there's no soaking bath. tub along the window. Ah, at the window. <laughs> yeah, which is like this like more symbolic image of luxury. And the materials and colors and everything was like horrible. Like, really. Yeah, the color was awful. Everything was gray. The balconies were also pretty small. Um, yes, but I think if you have bigger ones and these heights, the wind is like very inconvenient. Already hmm. at 27th floor. Yeah, yeah, I guess. That might be the reason. Also, actually, it's strange to have balconies above a certain floor because of this like suicides and all of that shit. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> And you, you saw some places in New York that were like 100th floor. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. That had like 100 floors. Yes. And they don't have balconies then? No, 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 no way. No. Okay. (laughs) It's too high. No, I mean, it's like, even if you open the window like this much, which is the maximum they allow, it's like you you can open it to this much, basically, to this like, Mm. this kind of position. Yeah. Um, And even then you feel the wind is like blowing in. It's it's really crazy though. Yeah. Wind at both sides. It's not it wouldn't be pleasant to be outside. Hmm. But at let's say the fiftieth floor around there, there are some buildings with balconies. Really? Um, oh my god. I and would... even that is super unpleasant. I mean it's like on one hand it's really not nice to look down, or for me it wasn't. But but it's very windy. It's it's just like Yeah, I would never I probably wouldn't even go on the balcony. I'm so scared of heights. Yes. To go back to your work a bit. Um, so you, you've just published a book with um, the documentation of, of the, this project of yours, Private yes, Views. it's coming out next week, so it's about to be published. And this, is, yeah. this contains photographs that you've taken as well as, um, is there some essays? Have they been commissioned in relation to the project? Yes, there are seven essays commissioned, longer essays, uh, by architects, curators, um, architect critics, sociologists. Etc. Yeah, and then there are ten shorter texts. Um, some of them written by me and the editor, and some of them commissioned, also by architects. And those are treating like those are kind of like we call it like encyclopedia texts in the book, which are basically like ten specific subjects that um, are about luxury real estate in some way. Mm. Um, for example, one of them treats. One of them describes the amenities in these buildings, another one, the problematic nature of the shadows that these buildings cast, another one, the architectural renders they have, etc. So these are the kind of subjects. And then the biggest section of the book is um, is 25 specific buildings, one after the other, going from south to north in Manhattan. 
and the view of each of them mm. plus uh, this like dialogue between me and the agent uh, just like pasted on top of the photograph. And did you record the dialogue then and transcribe yes, it? Yes. Yeah. And I'll link to it on, under the, in the podcast description. Did you ever ask them any like uncomfortable questions about kind of how, how the building of these apartments has kind of impacted the local area or residents? No, actually, no. I mean, I asked them like, what was here before and these kind of things, but then they just like answered it. But no, I didn't ask these like provocative questions, I think. I mean, I asked things that were interesting interesting for me, let's say, for example, I was asking them about how the real estate agency itself works or how mm. how many showings they have a day or things that I wanted information, but I don't think I wanted to put them in that uncomfortable position. Yeah. Plus, I guess when you're viewing places that expensive, it would be kind of strange to ask strange to have about the, <laughs> the common people. Sure about it's like, hey, uh, the only thing I commented on sometimes is, for example, when these like super tall buildings, they literally cast like hundreds meters long shadow in Central Park. Yeah. So wow. I just sometimes ask them that, wow, is that our shadow? Which obviously I knew that it was. And then they yeah. were like, yeah. And I was like, why? Doesn't it disturb people? Maybe that was the most of these. But yeah, I always answered that like, oh yeah, but it goes away quickly. And, and no one ever found you out, obviously. Because you used to think. one guy did. I think that only one guy did, but he didn't mention it. Like he was still after... I think that he found out because he's super suspicious. It was a guy who took me three times out and on the third time, but he was actually really forcing that third time to meet because he has something else still to show me. And on the third time, he was really, really suspiciously asking me about the camera. Okay, yeah, because you had like a, a film camera, right? Yes, but others didn't take care about it. And and then we entered on this like last meeting of building where they checked out my passport. And he was really looking strangely if it's my real name or not. Anyway, there was one guy, but he didn't say anything. But there's this like only one experience. And I think the guy found my real identity somehow. But Yeah, I only recently started using a fake name because I I kind of wanted them to find me out. um, Uh And to become paranoid that there's this person kind of falsely viewing flats. Um, And only one property developer that I kind of focused on and did quite a lot of viewings with uh-huh. did find me out and it turned out that the really? like the managing director of the development uh-huh. company had followed me on Instagram really and, yeah I was like keeping an eye on what I was doing uh-huh. okay. um which I I, I really liked because I of course I, 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 I want like a wanted poster on yeah. my face and like their yeah, offices yeah, warning them not to let me in um, yeah. But I also thought like, well, surely they know you can just change your name and your number and your email address. So yeah. they can't really And, stop and what them. did they tell you or how, how was that when they... Uh, well, they were very polite, actually. They just cancelled a viewing and said, oh, following the feedback from the previous viewings you've done, um, we've decided to cancel your viewing. Uh-huh. Um, okay. They didn't say anything else. So it was yeah, strangely course. polite. Of course, I'm a bit like, I hope no one's going to sue me for the images or whatever. But mm. they can, yeah. I don't think ultimately they, can. they can't, and also like I think it just like wouldn't worth their effort. Like they don't have time for this. <laughs> like, mm. Eastern European you should um, you should send game. you should send some of them books or something. That'd be quite actually nice. many of these developments granted um, 
permission to for us to use their images like um because in the book there are these like descriptive texts or also in these like author's essays when they talk about certain buildings we just have this like their own mm. photography in the book so okay yeah some of these developments are even mentioned in the thank you notes and it's like image courtesy so i hope i assume those ones won't have any problem and then maybe the others won't have any problem <laughs> because the other development knew about the book so it but it's a it's a fine line i think but mm. it'd be great if they they you know how they'll have like a show apartment with fake fake books in it yes 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 <laughs> it'd be great if they kind of displayed your book within yes, the, yes, yes. the apartments yes. <laughs> um yeah chanel and picasso books on the tables yeah <laughs> yeah they 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 really go for like art books usually yes um, yes 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 sophisticated uh, I just wanted to also maybe speak very quickly if you have time still um, yeah, yeah. about I was really interested in the projects you've done in China. Um, uh-huh. I spent some time living in Beijing and kind of uh-huh. try to go back to China quite regularly. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, I was wondering where those um, you, you did one at that's a kind of like, a, is it a luxury development on the outskirts of Beijing? It's it's um, I mean, it's 150 kilometers away from Beijing. So it's uh, OK. So it's quite yeah. the outskirts. it's a bit more far, but it was uh, aiming at the Beijing new rich people or audience yeah. as a um, kind of like weekend house. Domestic development of like 4,000 villas, each of oh, them like That's thousand nice. square meters, like really, really immense ones. And um, the thing there was, or what's interesting for me about the place is that they did manage to sell about 20% of those properties, didn't manage to sell more than that. And mm. because of that 20% sold, they have to keep the city a certain standard because they saw mm-hmm. that like this is going to be the most luxurious place on earth so for those 20 percent who bought in it they really have to design Maybe things with them that it's going to be everything kept perfectly there's going to be guards and gardeners etc but then those actual guards and gardeners are basically like guarding mostly empty houses it's it's really strange mm. and could you just enter this yeah this yeah, yeah because city like, without yeah, yeah 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 i mean it's it has like a Massive Hyatt Regency hotel as well. Oh, um, wow. 800 rooms, like really, really big. And there's this like golf park. Yeah, you can, I mean, it's like a city. It's, yeah, it's actually not that small. And yeah. But uh, the villas themselves were completed to a different um, level. So some of them were kind of finished and painted already inside, but nothing else. Some of them were literally just this, like bare concrete shells. Hmm. So depending and why, on the, why are they not selling? My th- my theory, but I don't know. My theory is that like it's literally copy-pasted. I think there are maybe like four or five types of villas and hmm. copy-pasted all over the landscape. So I think like, and actually they were super expensive. They almost had like London square foot prices in the middle okay. of nowhere. And it's not China. even in the city, in Beijing. Yeah. Yeah, which is not even in Beijing and which is like um, super big. So if you wow. multiply that, it's really expensive. And I think just people who are willing to spend this kind of money, they don't want to be surrounded with 1,000 of the exact same villa next to them. Then you want to be special at least. Mm. So I think that's somehow where they didn't really understand this like logic of luxury or which of yeah. course also like towers happen that like you have the apartment under you is identical to yours but at least you don't see it that's bizarre were they were they in a kind of european style oh they were like a total this strange mix of it's like patchwork of style they were like greek columns and some 
It's okay. like Eastern roofs and then um, American <laughs> suburbs that I did a really, really strange mix of styles. In, in, wow. In and did you go there specifically to visit this place or? Yes. Yes. I yeah, read like one very short article about it somewhere. And I was actually going through China, visiting five or somehow similar failed developments. That and then is this a lot, was the one it? that interested me the most. And then to this one, I went back a year later. Um, I built installations in these villas just from the yeah. construction materials that were there. And a year later, they were exactly in the same position. So strange. <laughs> and you also yeah. did a project at this shopping mall in, is it Dongguan? It was actually at some point the biggest shopping mall of the, on the planet. South China Mall, I think was the name of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was like a half day project, basically. We just like okay. went there and also like, let's say 80% of it was closed down because obviously in this like random Chinese town, there's no need for the biggest shopping mall of the planet. Mm. Um, <laughs> one of the buildings, which was closed down, we went in and there was this like bookshop with all these like shelves around. So we just like built with like little living rooms around it, around all over the shopping mall. But then the yeah. guards came and... <laughs> Okay. okay, I was wondering if you got permission. No, no, no. And then it was this like funny game because like half an hour later we went back, we had another one, then he came again. <laughs> every time a bit more angry, but still somehow. I was actually better. doing some some work around like the kind of abandoned shopping malls in Beijing uh-huh. as well. So I think we're like, yeah, mirroring. Like, yeah. <laughs> You should go to, um, I went, I, I wanted to go for yeah. ages, but the, the new Century Global Center, you probably know uh-huh. it in Chengdu, um, okay, which right is, then. it's the largest building in the world by floor space or something. Really? Okay. Yeah. New Century, what does it say? Uh, new Century Global Center in Chengdu. It's amazing. Like I stayed in the hotel there for a few days, which uh-huh. is within the shopping mall um, uh-huh. and kind of. The hotel is all around this huge space that has an indoor yeah. be- beach and like swimming pools. And it has the largest um, plasma TV screen in the world, um, just above the beach. And the place, like I went on October, so it was kind of off season, even yeah. though I don't know why you would go to an indoor beach in summer. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was off season. Yeah, yeah. So the place was the place was like very luxury, but completely yeah. empty. Like no yeah. one was there. But yeah, that's a good place to visit. So the virtual viewing was, as expected, underwhelming. The sky was filled with a thick fog, which meant the impressive view could not be seen. It almost looked like the apartment had been cut out on Photoshop and isolated on a white background. It was clear the sales assistant did not have particularly high expectations regarding the outcome of a virtual viewing, and he was keen to get us there in the flesh, despite the lockdown. However, with lockdown keeping us all at home, I might soon travel to the US to view some property there. In the meantime, I've ordered Andy's latest book so I can enjoy the New York views from afar. To quote Andy from her recent interview about private views for Curbed magazine, she says about the viewing process, They were projecting onto me really strange things. There was one agent who asked me to sit down and close my eyes. It was in the Ritz-Carlton residences on Central Park South, and the curtains were closed, and she asked me if I like Edith Piaf. An unusual question, but I said, of course, and I asked, how do you know? And she said, oh, because of your European sophistication. And she sat me down and put on Edith Piaf. As I was sitting there with my closed eyes, she opened the curtains and there was Central Park in front of me. And she had this line, Just imagine, you could do this every day.
Hey! 